0: We're actually in a series called The New Humanity. And um, we've been been processing along, saying that the new humanity is a bunch of dreamers. They're a bunch of unifiers. They're a bunch of learners. They're a bunch of worshipers. And they're a bunch of diversifiers. And today, we're starting with the same premise that we begin every single one of our series um, sermons with, which is simply this. When God interacts with humanity, something new is made. Whenever God gets in the mix of something, it changes. It transforms. It becomes something different different than it was. And this happens from the very beginning of time. And I say that in particular because before the beginning of time, there was no time. There was just God. And when God, you know, when, when you don't really need time, you don't really, you know, when you live forever, you don't really have appointments. Like, you're everywhere, you're forever. And so God didn't really need time in the same way. And then at one point, he decided, hey, I'm going to create these, these beings, these people, and they'll have this capacity, overwhelming capacity to love and this overwhelming choice to love. And I'm really excited about that. But they're temporal beings. They're going to need something to mark the day and the hour. And so he marks the days with the morning and the evening, with light and dark. You all know this story, how it goes. That was new. What was the need for that before? If you're a God who exists all over, what is day for you? What is night for you? It's a different experience. And so there was this idea that something was new, this time. Now, now time is important to us. We know this, right? Some, of it, some time is more important to some of us than others. Some of, some of us are people who get to places on time. And some of us aren't. And just for the record, those of you who are not are judged all the time by the people who are always on time. It's true. And you have this like laissez-faire, how do you say that word? Laissez-faire, laissez-faire way of going through life. You're like time, it's a guideline. No, it's not. It is an appointment and you need to get there on time. I'm just talking about how we deal with time right? We all deal with time differently. But when time showed up, it was new. And then God take a look at time and said, I actually want to create something new within time. And the Sabbath was that something new. Even time being something new, he decided that Sabbath would be something new. You know how the story goes. Genesis 2, 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And I've always thought that was kind of a silly Scripture. If you want to know the truth, important, incredibly important. I mean, it set the trajectory of our lives. If you grew up within the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, didn't it? This text, you knew that about three o'clock on Friday, somebody better begin to the grocery store. Right? You, and you better be done by the time that sun went down. And if you were standing in line, we had an alpha beta was the, st- was the grocery store that we had. And you'd be standing in line. And we all knew when the sun was going down because we did the most legalistic thing we could possibly do, which is we wrote the the time that the sun would go down. At the, end of the, at the end of the Sabbath and then we also wrote it for the next Friday, just so you knew. So you're standing in line with your groceries and you're looking at the time, of course you would have been looking at the time, you wouldn't have been looking at your watch in the, at your phone in the 80s. Now I'm like, you're looking at your time. You know what I mean? Back then you would have gone, and you're all talking to each other because you know, you're know you all there for the same reason. And then as Sabbath gets closer, you begin to stop talking to each other because you all realize nobody's guarding the edges and somebody's got to guard the edges. Like the edges will break if we don't guard them, right? All of a sudden we have this this overwhelming anxiety because, you know, Sabbath is coming and we're not prepared. And you know you're not a good Adventist if you're not prepared, which really meant I was supposed to clean my room. That's all I know about preparation. Are you ready for the Sabbath? I'm like, my bed is made. Is that what we're talking about? Because that's what we had diminished it to at that point, right? That's what that's what it was. That's what that's what keeping the Sabbath was called. I mean, and it wasn't it wasn't weird for me because I grew up going to Israel quite often. So anytime you'd be in a hotel or something, and and it was Sabbath, it was Shabbat. Of course, they'd have a Sabbath elevator that you didn't have to push any of the buttons because it would stop on every floor. Yeah, no, that's a thing. It's still a thing. Um, That's that's. That's super surprising when you're on the 27th floor of a high rise and you're like, why is this stopping every single floor? And they're like, it's a Sabbath elevator. And you're like, what do you? We're not gonna push a button, because that's work, right? And you think, oh, well, that's kind of silly, but we're standing in line at Alpha Beta. Now we stand in line at Costco, but it's fine. There's about a billion people in Costco. Nobody's gonna see you there, it's okay. (laughs) How do you prepare for the Sabbath? And I didn't know that not everybody kept Sabbath the same way that I did. I mean, I thought it was, I thought we had a certain way of doing it. And that was right, because that's how we did it in our house. You know, we didn't swim on Sabbath. We had a pool. We didn't swim. I would often fall in. <laughs> I figured the angels were pushing me. It's, it's fine. Um, my dad would be like, well, we don't swim on Sabbath. And I was like, I didn't mean to. In fact, was this here yesterday? This, it's new. Um, I rode my bike into the pool one time. That was, that was too much. That was, that was deliberate. That was over the top. But I thought everybody kind of kept the Sabbath the same way we did. We turned off the television. Um, I didn't realize that there were some people who kept the Sabbath like they wouldn't shower on the Sabbath. No, they'd take their showers in preparation for Sabbath and they wouldn't shower. I went over to one person's house one time, I remember, and they didn't turn on the oven. They just left it on. <laughs> but just warm, not hot. So whatever veggie casserole we were eating was tepid, which we did, we did get Cap'n Crunch though. We got Cap'n Crunch on the Sabbath. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what that has to do with keeping the Sabbath, but Sabbath was there and it was like something different, Cap'n Crunch, because um, normally we would just get Cheerios right? And that was before Cheerios became like Cheerios. Like my kids eat Cheerios now and they're like, they're great. Yeah, because there's all honey and all this stuff on them. We just had Cheerios. Like sometimes they'd give us milk. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They always give us milk. Um, the text doesn't end there though, right? The text continues. Um, Genesis 2, 3. And God blessed the seventh day and, deci- and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. So he did something different. He set it apart. He said it was important. The principle of the Sabbath was important. That principle, it was important and it wasn't just important for him. In fact, I don't know how important it was for him, but it was important for us. I mean, because he wasn't tired from his work. We get tired from our work. He wasn't tired from the expulsion of energy and power. We get tired from that. So let's talk about time for a moment, just for a moment. If you want to read a good book about the Sabbath, Rabbi Abraham Heschel wrote a book in 1951 called The Sabbath. And he says this, just one phrase, he says, time is the heart of existence. There's something about time that is deeply important to us. You see, the technological civilization that we live in stems primarily from the desire of man to subdue and manage the forces of nature. Manufacturing all this goes into man's spatial surroundings. We design clocks to have a spatial way to look at time. You understand that, right? Five minutes is this much, unless you're too young, and then it's just digital. But you see, even religions can be dominated by the notion that the deity resides in space. Where is God? We go to church to see God. Is God on that mountain? You remember the story of the woman at the well? First question she asked when she realized who, realizes who Jesus is, is, hey, we worship on this mountain. The Jews worship on, on, in, on the temple in Jerusalem. Which one is right? She wanted. She had a spatial question. And if you remember Jesus' answer, it's kind of funny. He goes, oh, well, the Jews are right. They worship what they know. You worship what you don't know. But it's the wrong question anyway. You're asking the wrong question. Because a time is coming and has indeed come. He moves it from the spatial to the temporal. He moves it from space and area to time. You see, we are so concerned with where God is, we forget to ask the right question, which is, when is God? rather than where is God? It's a different question. It almost seems silly. And I wonder if we, in our particular faith tradition, Seventh-day Adventism, I wonder if we haven't been guilty of housing God in time, trying to spatially dictate where he gets to be, the binary of sacred and secular that we often live, and we have lived it deeply in our understanding of the Sabbath in Seventh-day Adventism. But there's something that we have to understand. We cannot subdue time. We try to subdue it. We've all tried to be somehow in control of time. In fact, we use funny phrases. We say, we, I lost time. I lost time. This is what we say every time we go to Netflix. I've lost time. I don't know where that four hours went. Well, I can tell you where that four hours went. You didn't lose it. You wasted it. We talk about gaining time. I'm going to gain time. And we all play this little game with our GPS, right? It says you're going to get there at 5.54, and you try and get there by 5.53 as if that minute is somehow owed to you by the universe. you are like, I beat it. I beat it. I got an extra minute. None of you have it. Does that make you a minute older or younger? I don't know. But we all play that game. We want to save time, but none of that really makes sense because time is not ours. All time is God's time. All time is God's time. We cannot master it. We cannot stop it. We can't make it move faster or slower. And we try, right? I remember being little and growing up in Southern California. Every once in a while, your dad would come in and be like, hey, guess what? What? We're going to Disneyland. And as a kid, you're like, yeah. when? And he goes, next week. And you're like, a week? That's forever. Right? he tell you on Sunday night. And so Monday comes and you're like, dad, is it today? No. Oh, how long was today going to be? Monday took like 97 hours. You wake up on Tuesday. Dad, is it today? No. Five more days, six more days. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But it changes when you get older, doesn't it? When you get older, time doesn't go so slow. All of a sudden, time starts to go really fast. I'm looking at my daughter going to college. And I'm like, where did the time go? What happened to the time? I remember when she was this big. And now she's going to, she's not that tall. Um, now, she's, now she's going to college. It's like I, I was like, Jordan, Spady, hey. That's, he's one of our worship leaders, really tall. Um, If all time is God's time, then it's not something that we consume, subdue or consume. Uh, But I, I think we should ask this question, is Sabbatarianism about time only? Or is there something within the principle of the Sabbath that God set up that is much deeper? Are we shallow in our understanding of what Sabbathing is? Or are we deep in our understanding? Does it go way down into the very elemental DNA of who we are? Let me give you a quick history of our f- particular faith tradition. This is a quick history lesson on Sabbath. 1844 to 1860 is kind of called the, the Sabbatarian years, if you will, because we were struggling with this concept. Rachel Oaks Preston was a Seventh-day Baptist woman who came into our circle of influence and began to, to explain to people this concept of the Sabbath in the Bible. Eventually, one of the early Adventist ministers, he was not a Seventh-day Adventist minister at this point because there was no Seventh-day Adventist church. They did not have a name for it. It was just Advent. They were just Adventists. A guy by the name of Fred Wheeler was probably the first to really take it on and begin to preach it significantly. In 1860, they finally had Sabbath conferences in which they tried to figure out how to keep the Sabbath, should they keep it from sundown to sundown or 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock, in which they agreed that they would actually do both depending on where you lived on the globe. Because if you lived in a place where the sun went down and didn't come up for three months, you'd either never have a Sabbath or be stuck in Sabbath for three months, which seemed unreasonable. (laughs) So after 1860, we actually put it in our name because we felt like it was that important seventh-day Adventist. And ever since then, what we've been doing is we've been fighting, defending, proving, and keeping a day. And we've been preoccupied with this. We've become very pugilistic in the way that we look at our Sabbatarianism. Most of our fights over Sabbatarianism are about when and how. They are not about why. I'll say it again. Most of our fights over Sabbatarianism are about when and how. They are not about why. We fight over... When? We fight over how, but we forget about the why. Have we fallen in love with the idea of Sabbath so much that we housed it in a day and forgotten that the principle cannot be housed within time? The principle goes much deeper than that. So let's ask the question, why the Sabbath? And can we, when we ask this question, this might be hard, can we for a moment forget about the preoccupation with when and how? Let's ask the question, what does Sabbath do? How is it connected to God, to to the why, to us? What are we really saying about Sabbatarianism? And I'll tell you what, from scripture, I'll let you know exactly what Sabbatarianism meant to them as they came out of Egypt and they stood at Mount Sinai. For them, it connoted a regime change. They had been under slavery in Pharaoh's Egypt and now they were under God. They were rejecting Pharaoh. Israel embraced a new governance. It embraced a new king. It embraced a new obedience. And it embraced a new outlook on life. Exodus 15 18 says it this way The Lord will reign forever and ever, not Pharaoh. They received and swore a new allegiance to the new commands of Yahweh given in the Ten Commandments that were in stark contrast to the commands of Pharaoh. Take a day off a week. Are you crazy? We have a quota of bricks we have to get. No, take a day off. How does that work? They were committing to something brand new. Because as God interacts with humanity, something new is made. Exodus 24 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read aloud to the people. Again, they all responded We will do everything the Lord has commanded, we will obey. A new regime, new rules. They had come from an Egyptian economy, an economy that said, you need to make more with less. And in fact, an economy that had been so deeply embedded into the Egyptians that they had to go conquer other people in order to have more and make sure that those other people have less. But they were assenting to the fact that in God's economy, God will be the one who will provide and he will provide enough This is a shift from scarcity to enough. Under God's rule, manna was enough, even if just for one day. Egypt economy said that there was never enough so that you must subdue other people and you must enslave other people and you must abuse other people in order to have what you need and certainly what you want. God says there is enough and there is rest in that enough. So, Sabbatarians, I'll ask you today, can you rest in God's enough? Not on a day. In your life. Can you believe that there is a holiness in believing that God has granted you and will give you enough? Is there rest in this? Because there should be. The idea of Sabbatarianism gives you a release from the anxiety that we live in in a consumer world. Is the Sabbath about a day or about trusting in God's enough? Do you have a shallow understanding of what the Sabbath is or is it deep? Because a shallow understanding of what the Sabbath is says you need to guard the edges and a deep understanding of what the Sabbath is means that you understand how to abide in God's enough. A shallow understanding is that you only do certain things and you certainly don't do other things and then you're okay. But a deep understanding is giving your time, your service, your submission, your fasting, your prayer, your worship, all of this to God. A shallow understanding of Sabbath says, I keep the Sabbath. A deep understanding of Sabbath says, I give a Sabbath. You see, we forget The commandment doesn't say keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember, change your focus, think differently, live differently. Anyway, how do you keep a day? It's the language of ownership, isn't it? It speaks of this weekly economy that somehow we can control. You can't keep a day. We try to keep everything. You know you try to keep everything. We try and keep memories. That's why we have Instagram. Right? And they're not even real memories unless a hundred of you like what I did. (laughs) Right? We have things called keepsakes that are literally to keep the memories that we have of something that happened. The younger generation is now getting tattoos to keep the remembrance of what it is they want to remember. But the truth is no one has ever amassed a second in their lives to keep it for later. You've never held on to time and controlled it. Time we cannot control. We cannot keep. We can only give. And we give by changing the focus of that time that we have. Time is different than space. You can own space. Time you have to experience. It has to be given away. You see, the principle, the deepest principle behind Sabbatarianism is giving rather than keeping. Giving thanks, giving attention, giving conversation, giving focus, giving grace. This is a different economy from the rest of our lives because the rest of our lives tells us that what we need to be doing is we need to be amassing for us. We need to get as much stuff as we can. How many shoes do you have? You need another pair. How many shirts do you have? You need another one. And then when you fill up your house full of stuff, you go and you get a rental unit and you fill that up with stuff and you pay for that every month. And every once in a while you go visit your stuff and on, and on, and on. A Sabbath economy would be a giving economy, not a keeping economy, not an amassing economy. And you know, Israel even had policies in place for a giving economy. They actually understood this perhaps a bit differently. They got into legalism just as easy as anyone else, that they're human, that's what we do. But they actually, when they built policies in place in the book of Leviticus, they actually had the principle of giving in it. Don't believe me? Leviticus 25.2. It's been a while since you've read it. Let's go. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, God says, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. You see this in the following text They explain that each seventh year was to be a land Sabbath during which no crops were to be sown or harvested. If any produce grew by itself, well, the landowner could keep it and use it for daily food, either by the farmer or by the poor of the land. Debts incurred by the poor during the previous six years that had come due were to be canceled at the end of the seventh year. After seven cycles of sabbatical years, a total of 49 years, the 50th year was proclaimed a jubilee year. Again, the land was to rest from cultivation and all the families that had become poor had to, and had to mortgage their land could return to their original possessions. That's the principle of the Sabbath. A Sabbath economy is an economy of giving. It's a change of focus. Because when God interacts with humanity, when God interacts with an economy, it becomes Sabbatarian. It becomes benevolent. It does not become amassing. It does not become hoarding. It does not become what's in it for me. A Sabbath economy is an economy of giving. Leviticus, Even speaks of it to the way that we actually interact with one another. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. Change of focus. In fact, Leviticus 25, 17 says this, show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord, your God. What if this were the the understanding that we had when we went into a conversation with someone who was going to sell us a car? Think about that for a moment. I remember my wife and I went to buy a car. We went to buy a Dodge minivan. It was our first minivan. She was more excited than I was. Um, but we, we sit down with a guy and we're, you know, we're doing the thing. And if you're if you're a car salesman, I don't understand your industry. This is just my experience. So I'd love to have you sell me a car cheaply without a lot of haggling. So we can talk later. Um, but but so we sit down with the guy and he's like, "How much do you want to pay a month?" And I was like, I don't know. So I give out a number, you know, whatever I thought we could handle. And my wife's like, no, 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 no. How much does a car cost? And I'm like, yeah, he's just telling us. All you got to do is, you know, my wife, like she researches stuff. She does math. <laughs> she's way smarter than I am. I like want to get along. He seems like a nice guy. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And she's like, no, how much is a car? So goes down. We get it and figure it out. And he goes, he does that thing that they do. They're like, like, you think you made a deal? And he's like, ah, I got to go get it cleared by my manager. <laughs> okay. So he walks away into some room somewhere. And he comes back and he's like, okay, this is what we've worked out. And we're like, we know what we worked out. We're here. He's like, this is what we've worked out. And he puts it down. And he said, that's how much you want to pay a month for however many months. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's what we want That's what we want to pay. And my wife's like, "Hang on a minute." She takes out her phone, pulls up the calculator, and starts calculating. You can see in his eyes like the no, and I'm just like, "You got, you guys got donuts here?" Um, I'm no help. I don't even know why she brings me. Honestly, maybe so they'll just feel bad for her, like, "Oh, he's special, isn't he?" Um, (laughs) So. So, um, so she goes. Actually, um, you're trying to charge us ten thousand dollars more than we talked about. Yeah, and then he goes, "What? <laughs> Faint? <laughs> what?" And she goes, "Yeah, like math. Actually, addition." And he's like, oh, well, there must be something. You know, he's ruffling the papers like, "Bring And he, there must be some mistake. And then he looks and he goes, oh, this isn't even your paperwork. That's kind of when I clued in. I was like, huh? What? And he's like, oh, no, they gave me the wrong paperwork and left and then brought us back. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. You see, here's the problem. The problem with our Sabbatarianism is not that we've believed it too much, it's that we haven't believed it enough. A day is such a small way to accept these principles. We look at one text and we think that if we just keep that text, that we're good. But have we diminished the great work that God did in creation to teach us about how we're supposed to live our lives by confining it to just one simple day? Have we only had a shallow and cursory belief and practice in what Sabbatarianism really is? Because it seems that to be a true Sabbatarian, we have to give all rather than keep what day. Have we allowed the lowest common denominator to become the rule? Keep a day? (laughs) Give a life. That's what we're to do. You see, a Sabbath economy is a given economy. But it doesn't stop there. A Sabbath ecology is giving the earth a break. Giving it an opportunity to rest from the overwhelming consumption that we have placed on the earth. It's not getting better. It's getting worse, friends. How can we give, the, uh, give a Sabbath to the ecology that we live in? The rest from consumption. Like the fields, they gave a rest How about a Sabbath community? A Sabbath community that recognizes that the people are more important than the work that we're supposed to be doing, to sit without agenda, without time frame. I used to love Sabbath afternoon meals at our house. Because, you know, we'd all eat the meal, and then, then, you know, someone would get up and start taking the dishes, and my dad would always go, he'd go, no, no, no. Don't do the dishes. Sit here with us. Sit here with us. And so you'd sit and you'd wait on dessert, right? Because you'd all eaten too much. And about an hour later, after a lot of conversation, just having a good time, all of a sudden somebody would show up with you know the pie and the ice cream, and everybody would eat, and somebody would pick up the pick up the dishes, and they'd go, No, 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 leave them here. Don't worry about it. We'll do it later. Now is the time for us to be together. And then you still hang out and you talk, and then the sun would go down, and you'd say a prayer or sing a song. And then inevitably, right, the rook cards would come out. (laughs) Which we all know is just poker different, right? (laughs) Like, are we all there? I mean, we won't say it out loud, but we know. We Sabbath together. You see, here's the thing. If we believe that God is doing something new, then we believe that the new humanity recognizes the importance of what the Sabbath really means. We're not guarding the edges. We're guarding each other. We're not waiting for the sun to go down so that we can live different lives. The sun has already come up. His name is Jesus. We're not... We're not interested in fighting about a day. We're more interested in saving a life. Do we worship on Sabbath, on Saturday, the seventh day? Yeah, we do. Do we think there's biblical precedent for it? Sure, absolutely. I'm not diminishing that in any way. In fact, the exact opposite is what I'm trying to do today. I'm not trying to say Sabbath's not important. I'm saying it's more important. It's more important than we've ever kept it. And until we lean into this thing that God set apart in creation, this concept that we are for one another and we have to live differently in order to be for one another. We have to think about our economy differently. We have to think about our ecology differently. We have to think about our community differently. Until we recognize that, we're not keeping anything. We're just pretending And we're changing behavior for 24 hours. And listen, you can do anything for 24 hours. When I used to play in a band, and some of you have heard this story before, we'd we'd do a concert and then we'd sell our CDs. And this happened particularly with Seventh-day Adventist groups, not with groups outside of Seventh-day Adventism. Kid would get a CD and be like, oh, great, love you guys' music. We're like, yeah. Will you sign it? Yeah, we thought we were very important. And then they go, Oh, this is great, another Sabbath C D And we'd be like, you could you you could listen you could listen to it whenever. And they look at us like what do you mean? Like, yeah, you can listen to it on a Tuesday. <laughs> or Wednesday, whatever's better. And they'd be like, Well, why? It's it's Christian, right? What was the message that had been sent? That you get to believe this one day a week? That you get to experience this grace of this God one day a week? Or maybe a little more special one day a week? Because if God is the God of all time, every day is Sabbath. And every person is a brother and every person is a sister. That we are not to take advantage of. Hear me. I appreciate our faith tradition so much because it has given us so much. But if we don't look to the greater principles, we will march into irrelevance because we forgot what God was really trying to do. And I don't want to be a part of that. And neither do you. We want to be the people that know Sabbath so well that everyone comes into our Sabbath as they come into us come into our relationships, come into our influence. So never let it be said that I don't care about the (laughs) Sabbath. Because for me, it represents everything that Jesus is. It's an overwhelming, unrelenting love that God has for us, chasing us through time, a time that we can never own, but we can always give. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for your time. May we never abuse it. May we never subdue it. May we never use it. But may it always be given back to you and to the people around us so that your name can be lifted high in our time. In your name I pray. Amen.